Okay, we are looking at the whole topic as, you know, as biblical decision-making. And I'd like you to turn to Colossians. We looked at that last night, Colossians chapter 1, the prayer that Paul said he and Timothy were praying regularly for this church, that they might be under the dominating control to be filled with a full knowledge God's will, that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every respect. But if you go to chapter 2, verse 8, there were some trouble at this church. There was some trouble of false teachers coming in. It was an early form. It wasn't full-blown yet in that century, the first century, but it was an early start of what they called Gnosticism. It was a combination of Judaistic legalism and Greek philosophy. And some of that, that legalism was don't taste, don't touch. Some of the things that they were into was seeing visions, claiming visions and certain knowledge. That was a key buzzword in this early form of false teaching was we have knowledge, and that knowledge is superior to the knowledge of Christ. And so that's why the Spirit through Paul writes, no, it's about Christ. It's about knowing him, exalting him. But in Colossians 2, verse 8, there's this warning. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then it goes on more about Christ. This is a good reminder that we have to exercise discernment. And it's lacking uh, in the big brush stroke of evangelicalism. But we must exercise discernment, and we gain that the more we know Scripture and the Spirit helps us to know what's true, what's error. And some things sound so right, they sound like it's true, but it's not. Remember Spurgeon who said discernment, the difference, uh, discernment is not the difference between right and wrong, it's between what's right and almost right. So some things, uh, I mean, some of the early church councils, they were battling a, an article, the definite article. Was Jesus the Son of God or a Son of God? I mean, down to the very definite article. And so it comes to the area of uh, making decisions and what's true, what's not true, and uh, especially looking at the scriptures. We want to go to God's revealed will. Uh, I, I mentioned some of my past was I was all over the place and making decisions. I didn't know. Everyone was telling me, just be quiet and God will speak to your heart. And so I was quiet and or go for a walk, and he'll speak to you on a walk, and I was on a walk, and all I heard was birds. I mean, I, I, I just wasn't getting all these different things people were saying. And um, I'm so thankful the Lord and his providence just kept drawing me by his spirit to the word uh, where God has spoken clearly and learned to make principle uh, decisions by commands and principles. Um. Some of you have read uh, Wayne Grudem, and I think it's interesting since he's even a charismatic theologian. 
uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he goes in a direction I'm not comfortable in going at all. I don't see uh, he's open much more for the practice of gifts and God's speaking. He calls it uh, non-authoritative communication from God, and I just don't get that. If God speaks, I'm, it's authority to me, uh, but he just gives suggestions. But one thing that he writes in his book, that he says in his Systematic Theology book, and I want to read it, it's page 133 in his book, he says, the sufficiency of Scripture tells us that nothing is required of us by God that is not commanded in Scripture, either explicitly or by implications. God will never tell you to do something or don't do something outside of Scripture. So individuals who go, I have this impression. You know, God just laid this on my heart to do something. Well, what if you don't do it? Well, then I'd be sinning. Oh, no. Now you have communication with authority outside Scripture. And that's what he's saying is God will not... Now, he goes further than I... I, I just say, you want communication from God? He's already spoken. But when he goes outside Scripture... Wayne Grudem is very careful, and he says, God won't tell you to do anything. It'll just be suggestions. You don't have to do it. There's no authority, is what he says. That's important, even from a charismatic theologian, that he says, don't go saying God tells me to do something or not do something, and I have to obey these impressions. Just stay with the word. And this is what he says. He continues on. This reminds us that the focus of our search for God's will ought to be on Scripture rather than on seeking guidance through prayer for changed circumstances or altered feelings or direct guidance from the Holy Spirit apart from Scripture. And I just appreciated that. I mean, even from someone who I, we don't share the same view on uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, he's, he's very careful to say, don't attach any authority outside of Scripture. And if you want to know God's will, stay in the Scripture. And I, I just wanted to bring that up for um, you who uh, appreciate that, uh, that systematic theology. All right, we are now looking at um, popular ways, uh, often pitfalls in our walk of faith. And we have to be uh, very careful how we walk. We want to walk according to Scripture. And these are some methods, and this is all in your notes there. <laughs> methods and motives to be cautious of or avoid altogether. And these are some popular ways. The, and I'll just, I'm going to take this time, uh, this first hour, and let's just look at the ways that we tend uh, maybe to make our decisions on a daily basis. Or God's brought us from some of these ways. Or we're around people, other brothers and sisters in Christ, who are making their decisions based on these ways. And it's all to help us to grow in our faith, uh, to be much more in line with the teachings of Scripture. The first is misusing the Bible. And, and I mean, um, intentionally misusing it, is horrendous. Don't ever intentionally say, I, I know it doesn't say this, but I'm going to use it anyway. That We need to be in submission to God's word, not all for it and, and 
use it any way we want. This is God's word. He has spoken, and we need to be humbly submissive and rightly divide it, as the Holy Spirit tells us to do in 2 Timothy 2.15. So last night, you know, going in and just pulling out a verse, worship me and a wall be yours. That, that's, that's terrible, awful. Uh, but, he, you know, that... There are individuals who go to narrative, and they'll just pull things out of narrative and say, well, that's for me too, and they name it and claim it, and they're just all over the place. They'll go to Jeremiah 29, 11 and say, God has a wonderful plan for you. You go, well, what's Jeremiah 29, 11? Who, who's it speaking to there? Well, the exiles in Babylon, the verse before it. They're all exiles. And the Lord's saying, I made a promise. 70 years, and I'm bringing you back. So I have plans for you. I'm going to bring you back. That's what that verse is about. It's just context. And people going in there and pulling that verse out, but there are other verses where the Lord says, I, I prepared calamity for you. Well, we don't put that on a plaque and hang it on our wall in, <laughs> in our houses. They don't sell very well. But, you know, even I uh, came across a, an instance where even George Whitfield, famous preacher in the Great Awakening, and Jonathan Edwards, dear friend, even George Whitfield acknowledged he mis misused the scripture. Uh, he was told he was uh, they're going to have a birth, birth of their only son. And what Whitfield did is he went into the promise to Zechariah about his son. His name will be called John, John the Baptist. And he'll be a great preacher. I mean, he's going to be a great man of God. And he claimed that verse for his son. And it said, prior to the birth of his only son, Whitfield announced that the boy would be a great preacher and that he would be great in the sight of the Lord. But four months after his birth, the child died. And George Whitfield recognized this mistake and wrote, quote, I misapplied several texts of Scripture. Upon these grounds, I made no scruple of declaring that I would have a son, and his name was to be John. He took the angel's declaration to Zechariah as his own, and then fell into error. So it's, it's just, it be just really careful when we open up God's word, that we don't misuse God's word intentionally, for sure, but even unintentionally, we just keep studying it, there are times when I've went to certain passages, and the more I, I read, I thought, it's really not what that passage is saying, so I don't use it anymore. Just being careful. We will unintentionally misuse it at some point in our life, just because we're growing in our knowledge of Scripture. But as soon as we learn more, then correct it, um, where you're at, what you teach, just that we're always humble and teachable. So misusing the Scripture. The second one there is personal advice. Personal advice. And that means unchecked advice. Godly people can counsel you, advise you wrongly, can't they? Peter advised Jesus. Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem. And what, what did Peter say? What did he advise him to do? Oh, no, no, no. We aren't going to Jerusalem. And then the words you never want to hear Jesus say to you, Get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, it, it's so common. Uh, I mean, even in the Old Testament, 
just seeking personal advice. I know it would be really hard for some of you who are grandparents if your children came to you and said, Mom, Dad, um, we want to really serve the Lord uh, full-time in ministry, and we'd like to go over to uh, the Ukraine. And as grandparents, how are you going to advise your children? Um, really? I mean, you really, you really thought through that? Or you can go and leave your kids here with us. But you follow that? I mean, you get subjective uh, desires in there, and oftentimes when you ask people for advice, you ought to ask, what commands and principles of Scripture come to your mind that could help me in my decision, especially on biblical matters? And you seek godly advice. What, what biblical commands or principles from Scripture would be helpful to us as we're seeking to make a decision? Had a lady... Uh, they had been married 50 years, her and her husband, in our premarital class, and they wanted to be in there to help, uh, to encourage these young couples that were going to get married, that with God's help, you can, you can do this. They met and married on the same day, which wasn't really that great. They met and married in Las Vegas, and then God saved them, and they 50 years of marriage and so I was teaching on communication and conflict resolution, and she raised her hand in the back and said, can I share something that my husband and I do about how we resolve conflict? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I want you to share if you met and married on the same day. Uh, but go ahead. And so we had about 20 to 25 couples in this class. And she said, well, what, what my husband and I do, and he was sitting there with her, we, uh, if we have a problem with each other, any kind of conflict, we write down our problem with the other person on a piece of paper, and we stick it in a cookie jar on our table in the kitchen. And then what we do every morning when we have breakfast together is we reach in there and we pull one out. And it might, it might be 30 years ago. And we might read it, we might laugh. We might talk about it a little bit, but that's what we do, and it's really helped us. We just, any, any problem we have, we just write on a piece of paper and we put it in the cookie jar. And I'm standing there, and all these people are looking at me, what do I do? Because there's a, a rather godly woman and couple, they were known in our church, that was not real helpful advice. But I, I have an obligation to teach truth. And so I, I said, well, I, I appreciate your, your willingness to share. However, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Spirit of God, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, writes, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be quick to deal with it. Matthew 5.23 also says, if you know there's something between you and another brother or sister, you, you, you drop, you, get, you, you take care of it quickly, not 30 years later. I said, it might just be better to put cookies in the cookie jar. <laughs> well, I, I had to correct it. Afterwards, I went to her and I said, I, I hope I... I, I wanted to speak the truth with grace. I hope that it came across that uh, a loving. Uh, I appreciate you all, 
but I, I just, when I look at the scriptures and then your advice, it just seemed to be in conflict there. And she saw oh, that was fine, sweetie, you know, and I was a young guy at the time and just, you know, it was fine. Well, later, a few years later, she died and um, found out that she had had my name on a piece of paper in the cookie jar. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Um, another associate pastor did the funeral and met with the husband and Apparently, uh, the husband said, yeah, here's, you know, one of your colleagues. Um, so, personal advice. It's, it, it needs to be checked with Scripture, right? Commands and principles of Scripture. The next one, and be careful of this one. Again, personal advice can be good, right? In the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. But check it out. With Make sure you have the scriptures there to think it through. Circumstances and even coincidences. Uh, God providentially will use circumstances, but he will not make your decision with circumstances. He wants us to make our decisions using scripture. But circumstances may move you up to the fork in the road. You follow that? I, like, oh boy, I just uh, lost a job. Now what do I do? You're in a fork of the road. You don't go with the flow of circumstances. Circumstances sort of push you up to a decision that has to be made. So you might, be, you might get a job offer. So I already have a job. Well, here's another circumstance. They call and say, we want you, this other uh, company. Well, now I have a decision to make. You don't just say, well, look at that. Here came an offer. I'm just going to go with it. It must be of God. No, it might not be. So it, it may even be testing you to see how you're going to make decisions, if you're going to go more after money versus uh, your own spiritual walk and your family. There can be a lot of reasons why God would have ordained that to come your way. So circumstances don't make your decision you want to make your decisions informed with the scriptures. And Joshua 9, as where Gideon, I'm sorry, Joshua, not Gideon, but Joshua looked at circumstances. Remember the Gibeonites who came over and said, look at, our, uh, the bread was fresh when we, when we uh, went, started our journey, and now it's all moldy. And our shoes were new, our sandals, but now they're worn out. It would, we went a long distance. Actually, they just came over the hill. So they were deceiving Israel, and it said Israel did not, the leaders there did not consult with God. They just, what do you think? Well, look at the circumstances. Obviously, it must be true. And they made a treaty with the Gibeonites that plagued them for years. So there are just numbers 20. There were some uh, results, circumstances. God told Moses to speak to the rock this time. And he, in his anger, he hit the rock. And what happened? Water came out. That is intriguing to me. He did it wrong. He actually violated what God told him to do, and he got results. So you can't say, well, just look at the results. God's in it. Well, what were the means to get there? I mean, you could get, you could fill this place up and have. Ten services on a Sunday. Just hand out $100 bills. 
Just advertise. Anyone who comes here can get a $100 bill. You'll pack this place. You go, well, look, God's in the place. Well, no, it's the means. So watch the, the area of circumstances and God, and, and I'm thankful that we have God's word on stories like Numbers 20. Because otherwise you say it doesn't matter whether you follow God or not, as long as you get results. No, it mattered because look what happened to Moses. He wasn't able to uh, discipline and couldn't go into the promised land. We have God's commentary on people in the scriptures. We don't have God's commentary once the scripture ends. So be careful of church history. A lot of people do different things in church history, but we don't have God's commentary on them. One in particular um, that comes to my mind is George Mueller, godly man who started a practice of any need that he had, especially in the orphanage. He was just going to go to the Lord. He wasn't going to tell anyone, any other human being. And look what God did. There were bread, milk, trucks or whatever, uh, wagons would break down or something, and they'd knock on the door and, do you need some bread, do you need some milk? And look at God's provision. Well, that is wonderful that God provided. And it wasn't just for George Mueller. God was taking care of many orphans. So was it because of what George Mueller did that God provided that way, or maybe in spite of what he did? That's just something to think through. Because we don't have God's word on George Mueller. So don't pattern your practices after people in church history when we don't have God's commentary. Was God pleased with that or not pleased with that? I would rather go to Scripture, the book of Acts, and start looking around when there are needs among people and the church. What did the apostles do? Yeah, when there was needs in Jerusalem, what did Paul do? He made the need known. He wrote letters out to all the churches. Listen, you all take offerings. I'm going to come around. We're going to get the money. We're taking it back. He didn't just go to God and leave it there. He made it known. And that's how a family works. Right? That's how a family of God works. That's how our family works. If there's needs in our family, we talk about them. So I'd rather use God's, and I look, is God upset with Moses, I mean, with Paul and what he did? No. All right, maybe I'll pattern a little bit more that way than ways of church history. And again, I'm not saying George Mueller wasn't a godly man. He was but just practices. There are mission boards that practice, their practice is patterned after George Mueller. Their missionaries will not tell anyone any needs they have. They just go to the Lord. You're going, well, how would you? God works through means. So again, circumstances, results, even coincidences. Uh, let me keep moving on. I went with results there. Just be careful that you can, God might, do something in spite of what we do, not because of what we do. I, I, I want the Lord to bless not just what I do, but the means of what I'm doing. I'm following Scripture, not in spite of what I do. Open closed doors. Oh, uh, I, there's another one there. Setting up conditions. Gideon, 
And people will go to Gideon, and here's 10 principles of decision-making from the life of Gideon. Uh, Gideon is not an example of decision-making. If anything, it's an example of God's extreme forbearance, patience with Gideon. It was not Gideon's faith. He put God to the test. God told him what to do. And you go, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to follow that. And so he laid that, if you remember that, the, the wool out, and it's got to be wet, uh, and that's dry. And the next day, let's reverse that. The wool's wet, and the ground's dry. That's putting God to the test. So you see God's great patience and forbearance with Gideon. And usually narrative, the main subject in narrative, is God. Look how God deals with his people. So don't set up conditions for God. Don't put God to the test. If God tells us to do something, then we walk by faith and do what he says, trusting him as we go. Then you have open, closed doors. Now, the Apostle Paul used this four times in the New Testament. The phrase, open doors. He prayed for open doors. What that meant was opportunities to witness. That's all it meant. When he would pray for an open door, he's looking for an opportunity to talk about Jesus. So you could use it that way if you wanted to. Like every day, Lord, I just pray for open opportunities, open doors to talk about Jesus and get the gospel out at work, when you're traveling, anywhere you're at. I pray for an open door, an open opportunity to talk about Jesus. And sometimes the Lord opened up an opportunity for Paul and he went, no, I think I'm going to go that direction. And I looked, was God upset with Paul? No, because wherever Paul was going, he was going to talk about Jesus. But the way many people use it is they're looking for circumstances and making other kinds of decisions. They pray for an open door uh, to buy this car. Uh, they'll look for open door to make more money. And that's not how even the phrase is used. Uh, Jay Adams says open doors can lead to elevator shafts. <laughs> So you have to be very cautious on using phrases like that. And then how do you even interpret an open and closed door? The next uh, one, ideas, inner feelings, desires, and impressions. This is the big one. This is where God laid on my heart something, uh, some desire. I'm just not ready to say God did that. Just why don't, you, why don't people just say, I have this desire. It may be of the Lord, I don't know. Fine, let's just stay there. That's what I was talking last night about identity theft, uh, where you're taking God's name and you're stealing it. You're taking it in vain and attaching it to your desires. And God did this. You have no way to know it was God. There's no proof that it was God. Number two, you have no safeguard from error when you start getting into attaching his name to impressions and desires. Gary Friesen, in his book on decision-making, said impressions could be produced by any number of sources. God, human emotions, Satan, a demon, 
hormonal imbalance, insomnia, medication, or just an upset stomach. You have no idea where the impression, you have no proof that the desire or impression is from God. You say, well, I have a desire to read or I have a desire to pray. Well, that could be of the Holy Spirit, but it could be also even of your sinful flesh to say, go ahead and do it, but don't apply what you read. That way you'll get spiritually proud and useless and fruitless in the kingdom, right? Or pray about all what you want. Don't pray for other people. I mean, I, you just have to be careful of just saying, oh, this is all of the Lord. Um, now, obviously, we want to get in the Word, but handle it right, meditate on it, into application. I'm going to take you to a passage where a godly man had a, what we call a good desire. 2 Samuel, chapter 7. 2 Samuel, chapter 7. Often called the Davidic Covenant. But I just want to, you can talk about godly advice and a good desire. Chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, of the prophet. Now, that's a godly man. God spoke through the prophet to the people. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Now, that's all David said to Nathan, but what was implied there, and you catch this from the next few verses, David is saying, I'm in this palace. The ark is in a tent. The ark representing God I want to build a temple for that ark. Now watch, look at Nathan. Verse 3, And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. That's confirmation right there. From a godly man, a prophet. You're processing this. A desire to build a temple for the ark. You have one of the most godly men in the, in the country, Nathan the prophet, saying, go do all that's in your heart, the Lord's with you. Except the next verse. But that night, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Now, whenever you find this word of the Lord coming in all of the Old Testament, the word of the Lord came and said, Unless it says in a dream or in a vision, it was probably, and this is from Dr. William Barrick, uh, Old Testament prof, retired now out at the Master's Seminary. He said, when you look at that, when the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came and touched me, uh, as he did with Jeremiah, uh, that's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. You know, he, he'd show up throughout the Old Testament. So it says, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. More than likely, that was a personal appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. So he, again, shows up numerous times in the garden with Adam, brings the animals to Adam, brings the wife to... I mean, he, he's showing up all through the Old Testament. It's just really interesting here. It's like the Lord appears and says to Nathan... You go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, 
And I'll sum up the rest of that chapter. Wrong guy, wrong time. Well, David had a desire to build a temple. That's great. He's not going to do it. Solomon's going to do it. And it's not now. It's going to be after David dies. So you can have a wonderful desire to do something for the Lord. And you could have godly people saying, oh, that is of the Lord. And it not be right. You follow that? It's, it's just, it should keep us on our toes that even desires, impressions, I have to check everything out with the scripture. I've got to follow the biblical commands and principles just so what we're going to follow, uh, go over in the next few hours. I, I've got to do that. Matter of fact, we made it our practice in any kind of a weightier decision, my wife and I, and we have, I keep them, major decisions we make, and I just follow these things. I, because sometimes I really want to do something, but it, it's, not, it's not following the principles of Scripture. But I really want it. And you could be led more by your desire. And what I, I appreciated, even with that passage, is that the Lord used David in collecting all the materials for the temple. Remember that? He used all of his friendships, got all the materials. So when he died, Solomon built a temple. It was all there. So you had a part in it, but it was not him, and that was not the time. So just a good reminder about this whole area of feelings, desires, and impressions. Could it be of the Lord? Could be. I just don't have any way I know for sure unless I'm following the commands and principles. I'm just going to walk. Walking by faith is a step at a time on commands and principles underneath your feet. That's walking by faith. Not what I want to happen. It's just here's... Commands and principles, and you walk in obedience to those, that's walking by faith. Let me go on here to uh, another one. And you may have questions. We're going to have a time for questions this afternoon. So if you go, boy, I have a question about that, fine. I'd be glad to try to assist as much as I can on that. And maybe some of the other pastors, elders here, and others could uh, lend help as well. The next one is led by the Spirit. Uh, that is a statement, it's used twice, Romans 8 and Galatians 5, mentions it twice, and it's a statement of fact uh, that we're led by the Spirit. Those who are God's children are led by the Spirit. Well, led how? According to Scripture, it's led in a path of holiness to be like Jesus. Both those passages talk about don't go towards the flesh, but instead go in an area of holiness towards Christ-likeness, right? Through the Spirit, um, the Spirit attests with our spirit that we're his children when we're walking in holiness according to sanctification in Romans 8. So it's a statement of fact that we're led by the Spirit. But if you want to keep in step with the Spirit, then you're going to go towards uh, Christ according to the Spirit's word, the Scriptures. That's what it means. There's no voice be you impressions. That's not what's talked about there, and it's only used twice, that phrase. It's just, sometimes it's just people are all over on this one. I, I have been in counseling with a guy who told me uh, that he, 
had a, uh, he and his wife were not getting along, and he said, I prayed about divorcing my wife, and I have great peace about it. And I'm going, well, Jonah did too, and he fell asleep going in the opposite direction of the known will of God. Your peace is not from God. And peace isn't even used in Scripture for decision-making. But the principle is you have no valid uh, principle to build that case of leaving your wife and divorcing her. That's just your own fleshly desires. And I packaged it with lots of grace and a smile. But I, it was, you know, people will say that. I'm going to make a decision. I prayed about it, and I have peace about it, which means stay away from me. Don't you dare say anything. It's like sacred ground. I prayed, and I have peace. Well, it doesn't matter. You prayed the wrong thing, and the peace isn't from God because you're violating Scripture. You follow that? Just don't, don't hesitate there, but smile, and it's just, you know, I love you, brother. I'm your friend, but I'm, gonna, I'm coming right on this one. This is to help you. This is how we love people. Proverbs 27, 5, open admonishment is better than love carefully concealed. Right? The next verse, faithful are the wounds of a friend. They're better than the kisses of an enemy. But open admonishment in love is better than love carefully concealed. So it's just, sometimes we do need to speak up in situations. So led by the Spirit. Then you have this um, inaudible voice. Some will say, well, God told me. He spoke, and I heard him. And usually, anyone in the medical profession, well, they'll be asking questions like, was it a voice like in your head, or was it something outside your head? Because that can determine whether you have something organically going on in your brain problem, or you're hearing voices outside. That could be something different. So then you'll even pinpoint asking more detailed questions. But when people say, uh, just dealing with another individual, uh, uh, a teenager saying they're hearing voices. There can be all kinds of explanations for this. It could be an organic brain problem. And there's a difference between your brain and your mind. So don't equate those two. Uh, your mind will use your brain, but don't make those two identical. But it may be a, a brain problem, some sort of tumor, some sort of issue going on, and all of a sudden you're hearing, seeing things and hallucinating and it could be a situation that they have to treat organically. Um, it could be lack of sleep. It's been proven three days without sleep. You can begin to hear things. Uh, your, your hearing can become very acute. You can hear things. I hear voices. And what has happened is it's your ears have, like, um, have tuned up on a whole another level, and you can hear people talking downstairs in the fellowship hall. And you go, I, mean, I don't see anyone in here, but I'm hearing voices. And that's just without sleep. And you can begin to see things move that aren't moving. Just three days without sleep. I tell students that because they hallucinate on their exams. <laughs> what were you thinking on that one? And there are examples of that. People wrote things down. You're saying, what well, wasn't even the question? They hadn't slept. All exam week, they're just studying. It could be side effects of medications that they're on. And there could be other explanations of why people, sometimes just your own thinking can be loud. I mean, just 
sometimes almost like you're talking to yourself. And you go, I'm voices. Well, it's just you reflecting on yourself, reflecting on a situation. So this, this whole thing of I hear a voice, but there's no way you could prove it was God. The next one, misusing prayer. Uh, when looking at prayer, and this is where people will say things like this. I, I'm waiting for God to tell me what he wants me to do, and so I'm praying. Well, praying in the Bible, there's four words that are used for prayer. And they're all involve you talking, not listening. Right, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and petitions. You speak. That's prayer. Prayer is not listening. Listening is what we do when God is speaking in his word, right? When it's being taught, preached, then we listen. Be swift to hear in James 1. Slow to speak in relationship to God's word. Hear his word, but you speak in prayer. But prayer is not listening. There's no word in, in about prayer that talks about listening. So when people say, I'm waiting on God to speak in prayer, that, that's just not even, it's not accurate theology. And we really, at least the Puritans, we ought not to pray until we've been reading the scriptures. And then we know what to pray based on what the scripture says. Have you ever read them? I mean, they're... We ought not to utter anything in our prayers that's not in the Scripture. We confess our sin, we, sup, we praise God for who he is, we thank him, we pray for other people according to what we should be praying in the Scriptures. I mean, there, you read Matthew Henry's uh, works on the Lord's Prayer, it's how to pray Scriptures rightfully handled, but be careful of misusing prayer. And it's usually aligning, the Scriptures begin to align our, our thinking up with God's. And then we pray rightly after that. Then there's uh, inner peace. People say I have a, a peace about something. Peace is used in Scripture a few different ways, but not for decision making. Uh, there's not a. Uh, there's only one inference where Paul said uh, his spirit was not at rest uh, when Titus had not shown up yet. And 2 Corinthians 2. And so he decided to wait, or um, not wait, but move to try to unite with Titus, who was given, coming back with a report. But it's just not used. You have peace with God in Romans 5 1. When we're, we're saved and the sin barrier is removed and we're brought near to God, we have peace with God, Romans 5 1. We also have peace uh, when. We're not worrying. And Philippians 4, uh, it's really verses 4 all the way to 9. But we're not anxious, we're not fearful, but we're going to the Lord in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and giving our petitions to the Lord. And his peace will walk guard duty around our heart and mind through Christ Jesus. You say, well, why is it I shouldn't be anxious? Because the first part of that sentence is not in verse 6, it's at the end of verse 5. And it says, the Lord is near. That's the beginning of the sentence. Whoever put the numbers in there for the sentence, uh, that wasn't in the original. And they, they really missed that one. Uh, it was right in the middle of the sentence. 
we, we say, oh, read and memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Well, the reason you won't be anxious for nothing is the first part of the sentence that says, the Lord is near. Lord, Lord's right here. And right before then is rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in our salvation. Rejoice. The Lord is here. No worries. And go to him in prayer. So peace there uh, is more of a peace of mind as it's dwelling on the scriptures and trusting God and his character, his promises. Then there's in Colossians 3.15, the peace of God will rule or walk guard duty in uh, your, your hearts, and that's a corporate peace of unity among the church. That's what that's referring to. Free from strife in Colossians 3. But it's not used anywhere else on, I have peace about something. Then you move on to some more here, and I'll pick up the pace. Devices, uh, flipping coins, scissors, paper, rock. I don't know, whatever. Uh, I heard a policeman pull over uh, someone and said, papers. The guy said, scissors, I win and drove off. Um, flipping coins, in Scripture, you'll find them drawing straws or casting lots, things like that, especially in the Old Testament, they use the yumim and thumim. Uh, they use different methods as revelation was being given. But once revelation was complete, you don't see God's people going to uh, drawing uh, straws or lots or casting lots and any of that. The last time we have a record of that in Scripture is the choosing of Matthias to replace Judas. But the more Scripture that was given is like, go to Scripture. Uh, Donald Whitney, who teaches at Southern Seminary, he said there's no instance in all of Scripture where God has this private communication with someone in their heart of guiding them. Uh, I mean, apostles, prophets, he did special things with them, but not God's people. You just don't have it, this private communication. It was always, here's the Scriptures, read, follow the Scripture. So you don't go backwards in time when God has given the more complete revelation. It's just what is the norm for God's people, especially in the epistles, of making decisions. And it's not flipping coins. Now, I had a student come up and say, well, we do that in our soccer matches. We flip a coin. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're talking about in your moral decisions of... You know, I said, if, if you actually follow biblical principles with two Christian universities playing soccer, and you go to Philippians 2, and you prefer one another, you'd never start the game. <laughs> so we're talking about in our making decisions on, on moral decisions in our everyday life, and they went, oh, okay. Glad we cleared that up. <laughs> Signs. People will look for signs, and you know what the Lord says about those who look for signs? It's not complimentary in Scripture. And it's typically the Jews. The unbelieving Jews are always looking for signs. And even when Jesus did signs in the Gospels, they refused to believe. 
They wanted to walk by sight rather than by faith. And you know, this is, a, this is one of the areas where I can appreciate and identify a little bit with uh, more of my charismatic brethren who want to see, want to feel the brush of angels' wings as they come through in worship service and all kinds of choruses like that. We all have a desire to see Jesus. We all have a desire that when our faith will become sight, and it will one day, we won't need faith in that respect. We'll see Jesus as he is. But until then, Jesus says you must walk by faith, not by sight. Remember with Thomas and the whole thing he had to talk with him about? They want it now, I say, my, my brethren. They want to experience uh, sight now rather than walk according to biblical guidelines and principles by faith or a combination maybe. And this is just where um, when we think about signs, that there's a warning in Scripture that the, typically unbelievers want signs. Those that aren't going to follow God's word are seeking signs. No, we already have God's revelation. We don't need signs. We don't need to see something. I would love to have, have some sight from time to time, but I'm reminded, no, it's walking by faith now. Then you have isolation. Be careful of this one. A very popular way of making decisions is by isolation. Uh, Proverbs 18.1 says, Those who isolate themselves seek their own desires, and they wage war against all sound judgment. This is where people come up and say, uh, we, we made a decision where uh, it would be like coming up to one of the elders and going, you know what, we're, uh, we're moving uh, to another state. What, 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 oh, I got a job offer, and we're, we're going to move. Uh, we already uh, put a house up for sale. We've already uh, went over there, and I've already accepted the position. Well, this is the first we've heard about it. On the way to your decisions, especially that affect your whole family, one of a biblical principle is have the elders pray, um, give some input. I mean, one of my first questions when someone says something like that is, well, have you found a really good church in that area? And what was the motivation for taking the position to begin with? Because it might be to run, right? Running away from an issue and not resolving something. It could be greed. Uh, but often I'll find people will just tell you we're, we're moving. I remember when I was pastoring, have you, is there a good church, a solid church in the area? I don't know. I'm sure there is one. Boy, that would be up front and center of making your decision. Who's going to care for my soul? How can I serve? Uh, our, our souls fed, our family taken care of? I mean, that ought to be a high priority. So when we left California, when I was offered a position, they wanted the Southern Seminary wanted to turn to be biblical counseling. They contacted me and asked if I would come help them turn the ship, basically, to be biblical counseling rather than following all of the more secular psychology. Well, we went through our whole decision-making, one of these papers here, 
following the process, uh, came up to one of the principles is get counsel. So we went to our elders and we laid it out. This is what um, they want. Uh, and I said, I would really appreciate prayer and any input that you have. And they all came back unanimous and said, we don't believe that you should go. And they gave me a reason why. And I agreed. Uh, my daughter was finishing up school, um, a trade school. My son was finishing up high school. This probably was not a good time. And I appreciated that. I was already leaning in that direction, but just confirmation with God, godly men who cared and loved us. And then a year later, our kids had graduated, a year later, Southern Seminary asked, called again and said, um, we, we haven't found the, uh, another person. We'd really like to have you come. Would you reconsider? Oh, okay. I went through all of the process again, went to the elders. What do you think? They thought and prayed about it. They said, well, we'll send you keep Zandra. Uh, <laughs> but they said, no, we, we hate to see you all go, but we think you should. For a bigger picture of the kingdom of God, what God is doing on a larger scale, one of the largest seminaries in the world, if it's going to help them get into the scriptures and apply the scriptures, we think you should. As a matter of fact, we'd like to send you. That's, it's how we ought to make decisions. And I don't mean thinking about buying a bicycle for our kid. Let's talk to the elders. We're not talking about like that. But the weightier decisions, right? The weightier ones, especially like a marriage uh, or a move of some sort, but having the input of those who watch over your souls that must give an account, right? In Hebrews 13, 17. So, uh, but when you make decisions, I don't want anyone in my telling input, this is what I want and I'm going to isolate myself, that's where Proverbs comes and says, that's very unwise. You, seek, you wage war against all sound judgment, and usually seek your own desire. Then you have dreams. And this is becoming quite popular, uh, the whole area of dreams, especially in third world countries, or I should say not third world countries, but especially over in the Muslim community, of people saying, I saw a dream, and I came to Christ. It's just not the method that God has chosen here to get the gospel around the world. Uh, it, a preacher goes, a missionary goes, and proclaims the truth. Now, in providence, you know, could God do something and, and combine the two and bring someone to a preacher and hear the gospel and be saved? Yeah, I mean, God can do what God decides to do in keeping with his character, but he, he kind of limits himself to this is how he does what he does, according to Scripture. I'm just a little suspect of a lot of the dreams, and again, you have no way to prove it was God. They say, well, I saw Jesus. Well, you, you wouldn't know if you saw Jesus or not, because an, uh, Satan can appear as an angel of light, too. It's, you, know, you have no way to verify it's God. And then what I, I started getting, and I'm, I have a copy of it, of a, a letter from over there in the realm of Islam, and a guy now is, quote, a believer, and he's sending these letters and saying, you in the West, I had another dream, and the Lord appeared and said that 
uh, we have needs, and you all over there in the West will provide and send money. And I'm like, boy, that's kind of interesting. I didn't get any dream like that. But you follow that? It's just, and if people are going to dreams, that's not how God is going to teach and train us. It's going to be directing us to the Word. And if they're still in their dreams, as a believer, they really need to reorient themselves back to Scripture, not in the subjective realm. So it's just very cautious there on that area. Uh, Spurgeon said, your dreams are nothing more than your imagination morbidly active. We're not responsible for our dreams. We're responsible for what we put in our mind before we go to bed, and we're responsible when we wake up and the first thought on our mind, we're responsible. But what goes on when we're sleeping, it's just weird. All my dreams are sort of weird. Uh, and I, I appreciate his, what he said. It's just your imagination morbidly active. The next one there is waiting on the Lord. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'll meet guys at school. I said, what, um, what are you thinking about the future? I'd like to get married. Have you met anyone? No, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, what does that mean? I'm just waiting on the Lord. You think he's going to drop her down like manna? I mean, what, what, uh, what, what do you mean wait on the Lord? God won't believe for you and he won't obey for you. God in Scripture will not believe for you, and he will not obey for you. He will help you obey. He'll assist you, but he will not obey for you. So you need to be working at this, doing something dependent on the Spirit. So the word wait, it's a Hebrew word that means to trust. It's not a word that means sit passively still. It literally means to wrap around, twist around. So trust the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord, what? Do what? They move. They walk. They run. But this passivity, I'll just sit still. I'm waiting on the Lord. Have you found a job yet? No, I'm just waiting on the Lord. How about trust the Lord and start making applications? Your, your job, your full-time job is looking for a job. So watch this one. This is very popular. I'm just waiting on the Lord. We have a need, and you have an ability to meet the need at church. There's an open opportunity to teach a Sunday school class or equipping class, and we'd like you to do that. You, you're able to do that. Well, I'm just I'm, I'm praying about it and waiting on the Lord. <laughs> well, what are you praying? That's a legitimate question. What are you praying? Uh, here am I, send someone else. Well, that's not right. <laughs> that was Moses, right, with Aaron. Um, and you're waiting on the Lord, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, trust the Lord and move. Right? Start moving, and, and he'll redirect and direct. So watch that waiting on the Lord thing. Another one, conscience. You know, 10% of the book of Romans is dealing with conscience. Conscience issues. Conscience in Scripture is our guard, it's not our guide. I appreciated uh, Nacelli and Crowley and their book on conscience that came out last year. They said, our conscience is not a light bulb. It's a skylight. It let, lets light in, but it doesn't produce light. 
And so we want to let the light of Scripture in and reorient, redirect, re-educate your conscience because you can't trust your conscience because of sin, depravity. That's so helpful. Our conscience, don't violate your conscience, but educate your conscience with Scripture. But it's not a light bulb. It's not, well, my conscience is going to inform me. No, Scripture informs you. It's a skylight, not a light bulb. Then the next one, uh, reason, where you rely on your reasoning. Uh, And we're warned in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, do not rely on your own reasoning. Engage your mind, but don't rest on your own reasoning. Right? Engage your mind. And this is where you have to watch out for the pro and con lists. Because in your own reasoning, you could say, oh, I really want this. Uh, here are pros, here are cons. One con. But look at all the pros. So I'm going to do it. That's leaning maybe on your own reasoning rather than what does Scripture say. So you could have a, um, a young woman who meets this guy, and he's an unbeliever, but they grew up together, they know each other, the families love each other, uh, he loves her, she loves him, uh, he's got a good-paying job, and she could have all kinds of pros. Look at all these pros. We get along well, we don't fight much, um, our families love each other, and this is just wonderful. One con, he's an unbeliever. So be careful of this area of engaging. Engage your mind, but don't lean on your own understanding. Then you have pseudo-faith. I was talking about that just a little earlier. Biblical faith, walking by faith, is what God has said, you trust and obey him. What God has said, you trust and obey him. So in uh, Matthew 8, where they have the centurion who said, Lord, my servant's dying, and Jesus said, uh, here, I'll, I'll go with you. And he said, you don't have to do that. I know who you are. You just speak the word, and I'm on my way home. You know, I'm in command. I, I get authority, and you're God. I mean, you just say the word, and I'm on my way home. And what did Jesus say about him? I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. But you know what he said to his disciples repeatedly? Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. He didn't say no faith. When you have saving faith, it's little and it needs to grow, be exercised. And so they would walk with Jesus and then he'd feed the 5,000 plus, that's just men. He'd feed them all and there's leftovers. A few months later, he's feeding 4,000 and the disciples go, where in the world are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? You're going... Just two months ago, and he was so oh, ye have little faith. Because they, they weren't getting who Jesus was and that he can do what he says he'll do. But faith is, again, underneath your steps every day, there's commands and principles. Why you're doing what you're doing, there's commands and principles. That's walking by faith. Don't come up and say, well, I just believe God wants us to buy Uh, 80 acres on the other side of town. I just believe that by faith. That's not faith. That's just a desire. Now you need to check everything out with the scriptures and why you're even going in that direction. It's just people claim that by faith. And then if it doesn't come through, guess whose fault it is? 
yours for not giving. And you'll get that from a lot of different agencies. Then there's fasting. Just a few more here. There's fasting. Uh, fasting, uh, as we see in the scripture, just don't um, use fasting as some magical formula. I prayed and I fasted. I made the decision, so it must be of God. Well, not necessarily. You could be thinner, but you're not maybe following the scriptures. So fasting, most of the time in the scripture, is around major decisions or major troubled time when you just give yourself more to prayer and a decision-making that needs to take place, and food is just, it's just not on the, the docket right now. And oftentimes people aren't even hungry. They're, they're in a situation that they pray, they fast, they're seeking God's uh, will on the subject. Then you have the call. People talk about call to ministry, call to mission field. And that can get kind of strange. Uh, they go by their experiences rather than biblical principles. And I appreciate uh, Dr. Al Mohler and uh, uh, Jim George, who wrote uh, a chapter on the call to ministry, and they went after the biblical principles. And uh, Jim George said this, uh, used the acronym CALL. C is for confirmation by God and godly leaders laying hands of the presbytery type of thing, laying on the hands. Others have recognized your giftedness and service. So confirmation by God, usually through the means of uh, other godly leaders. Then A is for ability. Has God given you spiritual giftedness to serve in whatever capacity that you're doing? Are you apt to teach? I mean, in that area... An L is for a lifestyle of integrity from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. All the qualities, 13 character qualities. One of them is on ability, the others are on character. Lifestyle of integrity. And then the last L is a desire. Do you long to serve as a shepherd? So... Dr. Moeller calls it the internal call and external call component. Internal, a longing. The external, confirmation, abilities, and lifestyle. It's not, I had this experience. You know, the clouds were in a formation and it looked like, uh, like the clouds spelled out call and that was my call to ministry. I and mean, that's what I hear sometimes with people. I'm going, boy, that won't hold up when you get into some tough times. You know, maybe I read that cloud wrong. So it's more biblically oriented of people going into full-time ministry. Then the last ones, small group method. Watch this one. They'll go to Matthew 18 and say, wherever two or three are gathered, and they agree on something, you know, it'll be done for them. And you're going, context, context. Um, that's church discipline. That's not about a church dealing with a discipline matter. It's not talking just get two or three people agree and God will do it. A prophecy. You'll hear that today of people saying they're making prophecies, even in church services. In the scriptures, in Deuteronomy 13, chapter 13 and chapter 18, there were two tests for prophecy. Uh, one, um, 
is that it was orthodox. I mean, it meant it wasn't something different than what Scripture said. So it, was, it stood the test of being orthodox. The second test in chapter 18 was it was inerrant. If it doesn't come to pass, kill the messenger. False prophet. Whoa. <laughs> um, I don't believe that's going on today at all. But what is, when they say, I have a prophecy this morning, You'll see, hear about that in some congregation. I have this prophecy. They'll come down front in a microphone. That's really, most what they're saying is just wisdom. It's just wisdom from the scriptures. Just saying, you know, I, I know there's some needs and people that are hurting, and I just want to share a psalm today. And, and they start talking about, I have a prophecy. Actually, it's just a word of encouragement. It's words of wisdom. It's not a prophetic statement. Because if it is, it better stand the test of orthodoxy and inerrancy or the person, the messenger, should be killed. And I, I just don't see that. That went off the scene with the apostles. And then lastly, the overanalysis. Watch out for so and analyzing something. Well, you'll find people in a food store and they go in to pick up a, a box of something Unless they have allergies that are life-threatening, they'll spend hours, hours in a food store for one item. And they're looking at everything, and, and uh, well, both, both of these could be okay. Mm, which one? And look at the prices. Hours of time. That's overanalyzing things that aren't important. Spend more time on the weightier issues, less time. Don't stand there like this morning when you were thinking, what am I going to wear uh, to the, the meeting today? And it took you two hours to figure out something. This is, uh, this is where the paralysis of analysis comes in. You, you're fully clothed, hopefully in your right mind, but you're fully clothed. That's good. It's modest. Those are all principles, by the way. Modesty, um, you probably checked to make sure it wasn't um, uh, so uh, hadn't been washed for a long time and smelled and affected people around you. So you, it, it's just you considered other people. You know, you didn't come in your pajamas. You didn't come uh, in some major bright color to uh, attend, uh, attention to yourself. You found there's just there's principles there. And you go, I didn't even think about those. That's habit. Living in, in habits with the scriptures, you're walking by faith, and lots of times you don't even realize there are, there are commands and principles right underneath your feet as you're making quick decisions. But the weightier decisions, like who to marry, you know, job change, having children, adopting, I mean, some of these... Well, let's just think through. Let's follow the, the principles. And that's where we, my wife and I, we get in, and, okay, let's get the, uh, the paper out, let's put the pen, let's start thinking through what are the commands, the principles, gathering all the information. And so in the next um, session, I want to walk through what are the biblical guidelines and methodology 
And then the session after lunch is let's take a few situations and work them through what are the biblical commands and principles on these. And I'm, I'm trying to hopefully pressing upon you and in, in the decisions that you're making from sort of the minor ones, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, even into the weightier issues. So even in conclusion here, are we relying on other means alongside of and or above God's word in our decision-making? So we just went over a lot of ways to be cautious of. And what is my commitment to diligently study and meditate on my decisions? And it takes time to think through, process. It can get a little faster the more you understand what the principles are. And realize this, that you've never missed God's decreed will. His plan in your life, you've never missed it. But we don't want to miss his revealed will. And we follow that, and our walk tightens up to please him and walk in a manner worthy, pleasing to him. And then what is my commitment to continually follow? Uh, I was reading this morning on Psalm 119. Boy, even after this um, seminar today, I just encourage you, just read through Psalm 119. I mean, this, this psalmist, more than likely, was Daniel. Uh, those who have studied that text, it doesn't say who wrote that psalm, Psalm 119, but it was during the exile or post-exile from internal and external evidence. You go, well, who was around that was uh, in the book all of the time? And boy, he comes to my mind, and you start reading through, and that's a, a strong suggestion. But whoever it was, day and night, they're just, I long to know your word so I can know you. I just long, I'm, I, how do I keep myself from sin, storing up your word in my heart? I mean, they're just all the time. Everything is going on. How do I find comfort? I go to your word. How do I get peace? I go to your word. Everything is back to the scriptures, and not just the scriptures, but the scriptures reveal our God. Right? It's in our God that we hope. And I would encourage us, as enough we think through all these different ways, You've never missed God's decreed will, even though maybe you relied heavily on some of these different ways. You're flipping coins. You've never missed his decreed plan for your life. But now he wants us to keep tightening up according to Scripture. Well, let me close in prayer. And I can flex a little here on the time for a break, if, if that's fine with uh, Richard, if you're fine with that. So we'll have 15 minutes of a break and maybe come back at 20 till and we'll start the next session. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your, your care for all of us. Uh, it was mentioned earlier, and Sean did, just thank you for our salvation through Christ. Anything above hell is a blessing. But you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are very blessed. Thank you for these churches that are represented who seek to love you and love your word and love each other for your glory. And Lord, help us as we look at all these different ways that we may rely on from time to time, that we would, our minds would be much more like marinated in your word, that we are under the dominating control 
of the revealed will of God. Lord, bless each one. Thank you that there is always forgiveness when we have willfully sinned in any area. We've violated your word. We ask for your forgiveness. But you want us to repent and to turn and to keep growing in our faith. And to that end, we we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.